Okay, let's see if it gets any better here. Checking, checking. All right, will you raise your hand if you can't comfortably hear me at this volume? Can everyone hear me? A little louder? A little louder? Thank you. Okay, a little louder. Thank you. How's that? Can you hear me comfortably? (laughs) Okay. Good, if that changes at any time as I'm speaking tonight, just wave at me and we'll get the volume turned back up. It's so wonderful to be sitting in a circle with all of you. I really uh, appreciate just the feeling of being in a circle with you. And the beauty of having Prajnaparamita, usually she's behind us, and I'm just loving that I get to see her and the back of her as I'm with you and speaking to you. So we are nearing the end of the first full day of our retreat, and um, there are several of you who are new to Vipassana retreat practice, to the silent Vipassana part of what we're doing together. And I think a first retreat is a little bit like an initiation, especially to be here with Joanna, with the work that reconnects in this container. So especially for those of you who, um, for whom this is your first retreat, it's an honor to introduce you to this way of practicing. And uh, congratulations, we've almost made it. So after such a rich and full, magnificent afternoon of, of Joanna's sharing, I just would like to hear popcorn style from a few of you in the room Just what are you feeling or sensing? What are you noticing in your experience? Maybe just a a word or two about what you're sensing in your bodies and hearts as we meet this evening. And please speak loudly so I can hear you and I'll repeat what's said. I feel totally confused. Okay, (laughs) totally confused. Uh Uh-huh, thank you. More hopeful for your children. Mm. Connected. Connected. Humanity. 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 Great. <laughs> Thank you. Humanity. Yes. Thank you. Uh-huh. Tenderness. Tenderness. Mm. Alive. Alive. Yes, grief and rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. New possibilities for my own aging. Uh, new possibilities for your own aging. Well, just to give a few breaths to all that's happening here, um, including these periods of quiet together, we're, we're just beginning to cook, and we have many, many more days to come. I said to my colleagues that I didn't want to fire hose you tonight. (laughs) These evenings will be used, some evenings will be silent, some will be Dharma talks, some will be experiential exercises, and we received so much this afternoon. So my intention is just to frame for you a bit about why we're spending our time in the way that we are and to tie mindfulness and compassion and action to um, the theme of this retreat. 
reclaiming the wisdom of the mother of all Buddhas. And mostly, what I, what I uh, care to share with you really is my, my own deep confidence in this practice and my love, my love over decades now for this practice. And um, as I'm talking, often there can be this wanting in the mind, kind of wanting to get all the concepts and write it all down or remember it all. And really, when we're giving these talks, we're speaking to you on many different levels. So I uh, invite you just to be here and practice with me, sensing your belly, sensing your heart, and being in kind of a uh, receptive mode knowing that what needs to land will, will land for you. And um, the rest can just be, be sound arising. I had a friend send me this um, email the other day about a new study that found that solving every single personal problem reduces anxiety. <laughs> I saw that heading and I thought, what? And then I saw it was from The Onion. <laughs> and there's a whole article about, you know, if you want to be happy, you know, you don't need to meditate. You don't need to do all this stuff. Just um, get yourself out of debt. Iron out every interpersonal conflict at your workplace. Patch up all disagreements with your spouse and family members. Find a good and affordable nearby restaurant option when your friends come to town visiting and take care of several hundred other lingering concerns in your life. And this will lessen worry and tension. <laughs> so what we're doing here, if only it were so simple, what we're doing here is much deeper than that level of problem solving. You know, we're not here to problem solve from the figuring out mind, but we're here to engage in these practices of love and awareness that birth deeper, much, much deeper understanding than figuring out mind will ever have to offer, offer for us. There's an old story about a Zen master that was asked, what's the value of a lifetime of practice? Some of you have probably heard this story. And, you know, when somebody's asked, what's the value of a lifetime of practice? You could say anything. And there's a lot of things that could be said, but this particular Zen master responded, he said, an appropriate response is the value of a lifetime of practice. Mm -hmm. So we're taking this in quite deeply here. What is an appropriate response for us individually and collectively at this place, at this juncture in time in which we find ourselves? How do we come together to have more clarity and strength and care and understanding? How do we trust ourselves to embody the mystery that we are part of? I know uh, for me, my work as an activist started when I was quite a young woman. I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. Fargo liked the movie. And um, I was doing a lot of work around women's rights and reproductive freedom. And it was good work. It was, it was good work. And I was, I was angry. I was very angry. And I do want to say that you know, anger does have a place in this um, journey together. 
We're not here to get rid of anger, but to turn toward and metabolize and embody and understand. I, uh, I was angry, and I um, moved to the Southwest some years later, started my Dharma practice, began looking at my own habit energies and began looking more clearly at my own heart and mind. And as I was continuing to do more work around environmental justice, um, it was becoming clear to me that I had to be coming from a different place in my activist work. I didn't actually like the person I was when I was in service in that way. I was um, tight and separate and actually kind of righteous, to be honest with you. And so there was a, there was a dissonance. And um, it became very much, and still is, and probably for many of you in this room, this, this living question of what, what does engagement, why is engagement really look like from a place that is grounded in, um, in deep understanding? And for me, I kind of got to a point actually of burning myself out. I was really frustrated and um, angry, and there was a way that I was opening through my practice as a young woman, to, to the possibility of rest. I had um, not known, really, what, what rest was, other than just, you know, after a crazy day, having my head hit the cushion and going, going to sleep. And some of what we're here to cultivate together is this quality of rest, of restfulness, a different kind of rest than often, you know, we come on retreat and there can be this sense of our, our nervous systems kind of know two speeds. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, you know, being full on, almost addicted to checking the cell phone and then being exhausted, you know. We can come on retreat and as our systems get used to the quiet and the pace here, you may have noticed just this kind of this sense of being really, really speedy or perhaps space out and exhausted. And so there's a, um, a process of our, of our nervous systems getting used to being in this quiet and interaction with presence together. And this quality of rest is a valuable piece to keep in mind during these days of, of retreat. The, the rest I'm talking about is really the rest that comes when we when we know the deeper nature of our hearts and minds. The mind keeps running out, it keeps running out, running out, this process of continual activity, continual motion. And as long as we are taking ourselves to be separate, as long as we are disconnected from our belonging, that keeps happening and there's a fundamental kind of agitation there. Do you know what I'm talking about? that feeling, continually being in motion. And we can, um, we can feel like, maybe you feel like it's, uh, you know, yours, your problem. <laughs> and of course, we all have our personal histories, but this is very much the, the human condition and this, um, this way of not knowing how to rest completely is... Uh, culturally enforced. It's something that the patriarchy keeps going with the messages that the happiness lives out here. 
the happiness lives in doing and getting and doing and getting. And I'll talk a little bit about this paradox of why rest is important <laughs> as you're at an engaged Buddhism retreat that has a lot to do with action. There's a, um, I've just been discovering the, the work of a really remarkable woman named Audre Lorde. Some of you may know her. And I was talking with Jennifer this morning, and Jennifer reminded me that she's really one of our foremothers. And um, Audre Lorde was a woman who was very much ahead of her time, a, a writer who identifies as a black lesbian woman. And she, she died of cancer in 1992. She was 58 years old. And she was an incredible, a cultural feminist who came from in very much inside a patriarchal world. And she inspires me because of the courage she had to be who she was and her, the power, the brilliance, the wisdom of her voice. She says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Right on. (laughs) Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. So it's, it's radical looking at what does it mean to care for ourselves in a way that really includes the deepest longing of our being. It's not just the next fix, but that really is responding to um, well, really, that responding to what brought you here for each of you, actually, you might just t- take a moment and just let yourself remember what brought you here to this retreat. What was it that was touched in you that made you want to come be here in this, in this way? It's good to return to this sometimes to to give it words, to touch. Oh yeah, right, this is what this is what I can come home to. And um, you know, caring for ourselves, being here counters the dominant cultural messages again that tells us that happiness is in the next acquisition. You know, we are here um, to connect with our internal experience in a very deep way that will inform our, our actions in the world. And as you settle into the retreat, as you find your way with the other women here and in this place and with this, this rhythm, I, I encourage you to settle into more of a sense of natural time, more of a sense of body time. You know, there's... There's a schedule and we have things we need to do and places we need to be, but every morning is this this very spacious, quiet sitting and walking time. And as you're moving about, you know, in your rooms or as you go to get your food, often the body will just be moving at this (laughs) speeded up pace that we don't even realize it becomes our norm. And it can be helpful to just check in with your body and let let your body speed up or slow down. Let, let yourself move in a time that's more natural. If you look around us, the trees are not in a rush. The grass is not in a rush. 
or hurrying. Nature isn't hurrying. The, um, the, our conditioning will do that. But to feel yourselves being here as part of nature. Your body, your breath is part of nature. So, mindfulness. Spring gave us beautiful instructions this morning for mindfulness practice. Mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing, and this uh, word, this word that we translate as mindfulness, I really understand it as mind, heart, bodyfulness. It's like mind, heart, bodyfulness, including all the aspects of this, this tender human experience. And the Pali word, the Pali was the language spoken back when the, when the Buddha was talking about things, uh, is sati, and, and sati means to remember. So we can hear mindfulness and think, oh, I've got to you know, be sure I'm there ready to catch the next in-breath. But how does it shift the sense of your practice if this is a, just a practice of gentle, gentle remembering? Remembering, um, as the Venerable Analio, quite a brilliant German scholar and monk, remembering, he says that um, sati is remembering to focus on what is otherwise too easily forgotten, which is the present moment. So we're just remembering this present moment, this willingness to be here with what is. And mindfulness is actually very, very powerful because it activates awareness. It activates awareness, and this leads to the unfolding of compassion. We, we start... We start right where we are. This is so important because often we can come to this practice. I remember Jack saying, you know, that new yogis come to the practice um, thinking that it's going to be like going to the candy shop and getting all these delicious, wonderful, sweet, tasty goodies. But it's much more like going to the dump (laughs) where you just uh, let go of stuff. where we, um, it's really a practice of falling away, not a practice of, of getting. Mindfulness is being connected with our direct, immediate experience of body, heart, and mind. This is actually a pretty radical thing to do to be present in a way that allows life to reveal itself to us, that allows us to learn something new. There's an old story about a, a, um, a person who just arrived at a monastery, a, a Zen monastery, and this um, person went to the teacher and said, you know, can you please point out the entry into the teachings for me? And um, the Zen master said, do you hear the sound of the valley stream? And the monk said, yes. And the master said, enter, enter there. Do you hear the sound of the valley stream? Enter there. What he's saying, um, what the wisdom here is really, 
wherever we are, as Kabir said, wherever we are is the entry point. So we enter this practice through, it may be through your grief in one moment and your ecstasy in another. Maybe through your, your wanting, your questioning, your sleepiness, your fullness. We, we enter where we are. And there's a message right there. There's a message right there that nothing is missing. There's a message that counters the cultural conditioning that Joanna was talking about, this engine of craving and grieve, greed. The message that we have what we need to wake up. And it's, um, you know, as mindfulness has, has become so popular lately, which is great in the sense that it's available, this practice is available to so many more people, I see, um, I see how even mindfulness gets co-opted. I saw an ad that talked about using mindfulness to decrease the belly fat. It's like, really? <laughs> to decrease the belly fat or to make, um, have, to make more of a profit or to create better snipers. And uh, mindfulness, the power of our attention actually Um, The power of wise attention is the path of liberation. This is a path that can bring us with teachings to to deep understanding, to complete freedom, to the embodiment of the wisdom of the mother of all Buddhas. It really starts right where we are. And there is this juicy paradox here. You know, to, to know this wisdom beyond time and space, to know this profound non-dual understanding, it starts right here, right here with this breath, this, um, this, this body, uh, a student I know recently wrote this beautiful poem she knows both sides, and she's really talking, talking a little bit about this, what can appear to be a paradox. She says, she, and you might imagine this, this could be you, she knows both sides of the world, the here and now and the great mystery. When she forgets that both are true, she loses her way. When she remembers she can feel her feet on the ground, and how her heart beats with the universe. So we are remembering. Very simple in some ways to feel our feet on the ground, our seat on the cushion, a heart beating, beating with the universe. This kind of attention, because mindfulness is a particular kind of attention, right? Kind of attention that invites curiosity and uh, a way of befriending ourselves, befriending our experience. Different than just, um, you know, we can pay attention to anything a person could be breaking into, uh, a res- you know, breaking into somewhere and um, paying very close attention, but not with wisdom, not with love. So mindfulness has this wise kind of attention, yoni somani sikara, uh, wise attention. And I, I first read the translation that I like the most in Joanna's book, 
uh, mutual causality, on dependent origination, mutual causality in Buddhism and general systems theory. And, and Joanna reminded me in her words that yoniso, you know, comes from the word yoni, which, which has the root of womb, womb or origin. So we might imagine that this kind of attention is, is coming into the womb of awareness, connecting with this dimension of our being that can hold, receive, meet what is without adding the contraction, the separateness, the craving, but just to be meeting life. And it's, it's actually a very much, um, I think of this practice as more of a, a practice of listening in, a practice of that's, that's actually very receptive, but not in a way that's passive. There's a wakefulness needed, right? To actually be here, to show up, to receive the moments, to be present, to be present in our lives. So, so interesting, the power of our conditioning. I was, last weekend, I... I was uh, a good friend. Last minute, gave me tickets to hear a Neil Young concert really close to where I live. It was in um, in Telluride, a couple hours from Durango, where I live, and I I love Neil Young's music. And it was in this beautiful uh, outdoor, um, out in the mountains. You know, the leaves were turning, the aspens were gold. It was just a gorgeous, gorgeous evening. And even though I had a lot of work to do, I just put it all down and I went to hear him play, and. I've been listening to this music in this particular valley in Telluride for 20 years or so, and it was the first time that I'd seen someone perform where they had these big screens. They had, so he, he, Neil and his band were in the center, and there were these two huge screens that were showing for people who probably wanted to really see Neil's hands playing the guitar. You know, it showed one small slice of what was happening on the stage. And I, I wasn't used to that, and so I'm standing there, you know, just so happy to be hearing this music. And I notice that I feel really connected to what's happening when I'm looking at Neil and his band on the stage. And I'm feeling with them. There's a sense of contact and connectedness. I'm feeling the way the band is together. It's great, but then I notice that my eye keeps going to the screen. And the screen, I mean, it was great. I could, you know, you could see his hands, but it was one little slice of a, of a much larger, more connected experience that was happening. It was one little slice. And I didn't enjoy it as much, but my eye kept going there. <laughs> so I was just standing, you know, listening to this music kind of in, in my practice, watching how, wow, I feel most connected when I'm looking at what's right in front of me, yet the gaze keeps going over here. So it's just seeing this sense of the momentum of conditioning <laughs> toward the image of something. The screen was the image of something. It, it was just the image of something. And yet that was where the eye kept going. And so it's just this, this part of what we're, we're retraining ourselves to stay in connection, to stay in contact with our senses, with what's happening here in this moment. And it takes so much patience. It takes so much patience and so much love to be showing up in this way because we are conditioned and we are, we are personal and cultural creatures. And so 
as we practice together, as we um, learn to stay in connection, the mind jumps. We come back, the mind jumps. The mind's always jumping somewhere out of reactivity. The mind keeps jumping. As we learn to stabilize in presence, there's, there's a confidence that starts to develop. There's a holding that starts to develop, a stability that is here meeting this stream of feelings, this stream of sensations, this stream of um, experience, and this stability allows these deeper and deeper layers of the ways that we hold ourselves as separate to come up and be known and be metabolized and not take us over. I was just down at the Gratitude Hut on my walk up here, and I I love looking at um, the picture of Deepama. Some of you have maybe been down there and just seen. In in her gaze to me is such incredible love and wisdom, such deep, uh, deep understanding. And what we do does make a difference in this world. you need a reservoir in you of something that is not distraught to, I don't want to use the word sustainable, to be, to be life-sustaining, <laughs> to be life-sustaining in how you're showing up. And that reservoir doesn't come from figuring out. That reservoir comes from how we're meeting the moments of our experience and the the momentum, the mountain of presence that develops over time. So my friend Bonnie Duran, some of you might know Bonnie, she uh, takes this great phrase from Dr. Michael Yellowbird out of North Dakota. And as we're talking about North Dakota, let's do a little shout out to everyone at Standing Rock. We were just talking about that at dinner. It's good to celebrate all the small victories that happen. And it's good to see the power of people coming together and what can, um, what can emerge. But um, she talks about this practice as this process of decolonizing our minds. And I, I love that decolonizing our minds and, and um, making room for um, the ways of knowing that we have been trained out of, making room for the, um, the sensing, the sensing, the deep sensing of body, the deep sensing of relatedness. I have all these pieces here, and I'm just sensing what I want to share with you. It's just returning, returning to nature. Maladoma Somme, in his beautiful book on ritual and power and healing and community, says this, he says, indigenous peoples are indigenous because there are no machines between them and their gods. There are no machines barring the door to the spirit world where one can enter in and listen to what's going on on a deep level. 
participating in the vibration of nature. When machines speak in place, let's say goddesses here, <laughs> should have started with that, but when machines speak in place of goddesses, people are hard put to listen and even more hard put to vibrate with the realm of nature. So there's a way that this, this presence with wise attention, with mindful attention that we're cultivating, dissolves the ways that we have internalized the machine. It dissolves the messages we have received that um, tell us we are anything but beautifully whole. And this topic, this huge topic that we are moving through and approaching on this retreat, it really, it takes, it requires this, um, a dharma and a container of presence that is really deep and wide enough to hold the truths that we're turning toward. The holding actually needs to be here for the compassion to uh, be something that, um, that is sustainable, to be something that, um, that doesn't feel like, that allows us to be buoyant and active in the face of, of, um, of where things really are at. And so the compassion, the compassion becomes a natural response as we come into presence in this way, as we are in relationship, as we are waking up to the profound truth of our relatedness. The compassion is there because we belong to life. We feel with life. And so, you know how it is when you're feeling isolated or when you're feeling depressed or feeling like you don't quite fit in? What is needed is usually not somebody to tell you what to do. What is needed is not usually an instruction manual. What's needed is a sense of a great heart. That's what's needed. And this, um, this heart that begins to develop through the process of meditation, through the process of the work that reconnects, really can become um, what guides us, really can become what guides our action, what guides how we meet one another. The Buddha said, I teach the Dharma to one who feels, not to one who does not feel. I come back to that sometimes. I teach the Dharma to one who feels. So we, we invite you. We invite you to become familiar with this quality of presence that creates the container that allows us to really turn. <laughs> the, the great turning is in part a turning toward our own hearts, which is really not separate at all from the heart of all beings. I, uh, this, like this, this knowing of the great heart just comes in different ways at different times for each of us through our lives. And I, I spent... Um, many, many months with my, with my mother a year ago 
Uh, my mother died of a, of a rare and aggressive form of uterine cancer, and I, w- I was with her in a very close way through her journey. And it was, it was probably the most, perhaps one of the most difficult experiences of my life, and also one of the greatest gifts of my life, to be with her so closely in such a passage. Some of you I know are caring for loved ones, Many of you have been with loved ones dying or are dealing with your own diagnoses. And um, such a profound teaching. I remember just spending hours and hours sitting with my mother when she was sleeping. And uh, just the sounds that she would make, the movements that she would make, spending hours sitting with her during her chemotherapy and radiation treatments. And eventually spending weeks being with her as she was taking leave of her body And there was a way that being in this place of life and death together, it it just, um, there was no more room for what had kept us separate. There was no room for anything really other than this kind of great heart that I'm talking about. And there were so many moments when I thought, "I I can't do this. This is way too hard. This is way too much. And you may know this from your own life. Sometimes just when things feel like too much and we are trying to manage, the only option is just to let go and allow and rest. And there was a way for us um, that while there was this incredible intimacy of, of mother and daughter, you know, Aaron and mother, at the same time, there was a felt sense of being inside of something. I said, I, I don't know how to describe this, but there was a felt sense of really being inside the great heart, awakening to this kind of heart holding. It was so much larger than either one of us, but that really was holding both of us as, 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 um, as there was this, this meeting, this field, really, that's there when the separateness falls away. And, you know, we are here at this incredible, this incredible time to be alive on this planet. A time of uh, incredible responsibility, possibility. And there's a sense of, I just was, was thinking about the, my own journey being with my mother and the, the, the profound teaching of it. And we're, we're in a sense like right, right here, Um, we are in an incredible time to wake up right here on the brink to open to the heartfulness and the holding that is available to us and that we need, that we need to, um, to to be connected, to be responding. So this retreat, these practices are an invitation for you to wake up to the great heart that you are, to the great heart that, that you will find when you enter the valley stream. When you let wherever you are be the entry point. Tanisra says, she's beautifully, she says, when we, when we tune into that, then the Eros energy of undifferentiated love suffuses our being. So we're, we're training, we're practicing, one breath at a time, one step at a time, one um, willingness to share, 
with another woman, your experience, your, um, your edges in the dyads. We can talk and talk about, about all of this, but the power, as you know, is just from, from being here, from turning toward your own experience as part of the great turning. And when we turn in a way that is um, not just external, but also internal, when we turn in this way, we really turn toward all of life. I'll end with a piece I love by Zenju Earthlin Manuel. I really appreciate her teachings for our time and for this territory together. Her, uh, she has this whole body of different kind of poems called Chants Against Hatred. And this one is called The Heart of Tenderness. Tenderness has a wellspring beneath it. Draw from it to seek the good and obtain liberation. May that which we have suffered be a moment of our lives and not our whole lives. May we see what is truly in our own hearts without the distraction of imposed oppressive ideas of who others think we are. May our rage be felt, breathed, and attended to on the path of awakening so that we may recover from ignorance and hatred without words for what we have lost in prolonged mistreatment. Let our grief lead us to an experience of well-being and sanity. May we regain sight of the connectedness, the same connectedness we were born with when as babies our tongues touch the roofs of our mouths. Whether we are walking, standing, sitting, or lying down, let us draw upon the earth for ease and gentleness. Let our arms caress our innermost fears. And through this body, complete and perfect, its races, sexualities, and genders, let it be the gateway to enlightenment and to awaken collective awareness of our magnificence. All ancestors in all directions, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, Maha Prashna Paramita. So we'll just take a few minutes of quiet together and let it all settle.
Thank you for your, your attention. Time for a walking period. And uh, as you walk, you might just take a minute to stand and open up, look up at the sky, the stars, enjoy the, the darkness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.